0: You're listening to the Economics Review Podcast with your host, Adi Golcha. From Congress to Wall Street and Finance to Philosophy, tune into the Economics Review to hear from world leading experts on current events and cutting edge research. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to the Economics Review. Our guest today was a professor and economic chair at American University, director for 20 years of the Fiscal Affairs Department at the International Monetary Fund, and undersecretary for economy and finance in the Italian government. He is the honorary president of the International Institute of Public Finance in Munich, Germany. Holding a PhD from Harvard University, his latest book is titled titled Fragile Futures, The Uncertain Economics of Disasters, Pandemics, and Climate Change. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the show... Dr. Vito-Tenz, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Uh, Pleasure. By the way, you must have noticed that the book was selected by the Financial Times as the summer reading.
0: Okay. Um, So firstly, as always, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and how you got into studying fiscal policy.
1: Well, uh, when uh, (laughs) I started at the very beginning to study law in Italy but when you 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 begin to study law you also take some courses in economics and i found economics much more interesting so then my family transferred to the us in 1956 and uh, then i started going to the university and uh, and i continue with economics so i i got my first degree and i got my first uh, uh master degree in economics uh, uh, at George Washington University. And then uh, I applied for PhD at Harvard. <laughs> and uh, and then I went there and I got a second master's degree and uh, a PhD in economics. I, I was very lucky in those years to have studied with some of the leading fiscal experts in the world. Uh, one was a German. By coincidence, they were all... Uh, People had migrated from Germany in the 30s. One was Otto Exein, which at the time was the youngest full professor at Harvard, you know, and uh, he became very famous. He became also very rich because he created a consulting firm that he sold to McGraw Hill and he got a lot of millions. And the second one was Gerard Kolm. With whom I did a master thesis. And the third one was Richard Musgrave, who became the the big biggest name in public finance. He wrote a famous book in 1959. So I I got very interested in in public finance from the very beginning. I, I published my first article with Brookings when in 1963. And then I've uh, I've written more about 25 books and uh, on many several hundred articles, some in the top journals. But it has always been a major interest of mine, uh, public finance. No.
0: OK, so your latest book is titled Fragile Futures, the Uncertain Economics of Disasters, Pandemics and Climate Change, and introduces a distinction between statistically pre- predictable of um, future events titled risks and statistically unpredictable, uncertain events titled uncertainties. So can you tell us a bit more about this distinction and why it's important?
1: This is very important, you know, because it has not been uh, used much or appreciated much in you know, in recent time. But in 1921, um, more, more than 100 years ago, there were two books which, by coincidence, Made that distinction. One made it very sharply, and uh, and the 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 writer was Frank Knight, who became a very important professor at uh, at Chicago at the Chicago School of Economics. He was a very important professor, and he was the one who made this very sharp distinction, where risk being uh, events that you can uh, you can uh, theorize. And you can calculate the probability, you know, we all know, we can more or less know what is the probability, or at what age we will die, not Individually, but collectively, uh, you you can, uh, if you take a plane, you can predict, there are statistics which tell you how many planes had fallen and, and and so forth. So you you can you can estimate the probability that you will get a certain type of cancer and things like this. So those are risks. And for risk, you can develop private institution, okay, an insurance company that allow you protection against the risk. You know, I I buy protection against my house. I've been living in this in the same house for fifty two years. I've paid a lot of money to the insurance company. I've never asked one one penny in exchange. But this, this is a risk and Unc- uncertainty are events over which we have much less understanding you know earthquakes you know that earthquakes happen but uh, you know it's very difficult to predict when an earthquake will happen in the car in uh, in san francisco you know it it happened in in uh, 1905 but who knows when a major one and uh, and there are several, several events of this kind. We Normally, when they come, we call them acts of God, as if they came out of nowhere. Pandemics, you know, we are always surprised when the pandemics come. But as I, I illustrate in my book, you know, there have been many, many episodes in history going back at least 3,000 years, you know, from a major pandemics in Athens, pandemics in the Roman Empire, the great plague of of, of 1346 and and so forth. There have been pandemics all over in this, but we are always very surprised when they arrive because we don't have a a way of calculating the probability. And so we do nothing to protect ourselves against them, you know. And that's the, the book argues that the government really should pay much more attention to them. Uh, should try to anticipate if a if a disaster real disaster happens what to what should we do well, how do we respond to it how we we prepare ourselves so that it, if it happens does not do as much damage as uh, as it could you know so that's uh and uh in the book there different kinds of disaster you know there are famines which have been characterized the world many times you know millions of people have died in china or in russia or even in uh, in ireland you know in in the in the in the 19th century uh of famines you know uh, and uh tsunami have been a major events. one one interesting one is an atomic disasters. No, because now there is this, uh, this view that we being pushed by many people, including Gates, in his uh, recent book, he uh, says, Well, why don't we build more atomic bombs to deal with the, with the climate change, because the atomic uh, not bomb atomic uh, uh, power plants, uh, they, they don't pollute the environment and so forth. Well, that that's true but there are risks associated with them you know the three miles island in the us was a risk that came out of nowhere and it could have uh, materialized could have become a major major disaster for washington dc which was only about 90 miles away from three Mile island wow. the the disaster in chernobyl no was a, a major disaster totally unanticipated. There was some experiment, but the thing became so complex that people did not know what to do. The, the disaster in, in in Japan, you know, uh, you know that when uh, a tsunami, which was totally unexpected, you know, could uh, uh came and uh, damaged this power plant and created a a huge disaster, a major disaster, cost hundreds of billions of dollars of uh, of damage. And uh, so, so that uh, so the, the problem is that, uh, you know, you could have uh, atomic power plant that directly don't pollute the, the environment don't create don't create, a, uh, don't, don't create a, a climate change but you could have, uh, for example, a saboteur that could attack them and create a problem. You know, recently when when the Russians have invaded Ukraine, there was a concern about, uh, uh, again, uh, Chernobyl, not what uh, what could happen. So so th- this is the basic difference between risk and uncertainty. Again, there's this uh, uncertain event which uh, are difficult to predict statistically. So it's difficult for a a private uh, insurance company to insure, although some insurance companies, as I mentioned in the book, uh, Swiss Ray, I think, is a company in uh, Switzerland, has has created some insurance against volcanic eruptions. But uh, that's the basic point, that there are these events that you cannot... uh, anticipate statistical you cannot say that this will happen in 2 years or 10 years or 15 years or whatever you don't know but if they happen they can can create a lot of um, damage they can kill a lot of people they can damage a lot of property so it would be it would be convenient to prepare for example you now much of the research that we do in dealing with uh, with diseases you know the, the the research is very often direct toward the specific diseases whether the cancer or you know, heart disease and so forth but uh there's much less this uh, research directed toward the general pandemics you know like the covid you know it came out of nowhere was good uh, when the, when the covid came. There was some general fundamental research which had been done for over many years about the DNA and so forth, which allowed some private company to step in and try to develop some drugs which which were to some extent effective uh, quickly. So that was some help, but would have been better if from the beginning there had been some research which had been directly Directed to general pandemics rather than, uh, than specific uh, illnesses. You know. uh.
0: Yeah. Um, so now, obviously, with many of these disasters or diseases, the fact that they're classified as uncertain means that there is no meaningful way to assess the relative probabilities of each of them occurring and the times or severities at which they might occur. With that being said, how would you suppose the government could go about prioritization between different disasters? Like, for example, how would the government know how many resources to devote to mitigating the impact of potential atomic disasters as opposed to an industrial disaster without the probabilities necessary to do so?
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, the uh, many disasters have happened you know many industrial disasters for example happened because the government has not been very vigilant with surveillance you know uh, they, they are very often they have closed their eyes and they've allowed the private company you know there was a, I think in the book i reported at one point one of the rivers caught fire because the, they were chemical company uh, that were were uh, operating next to the river that uh, were pushing so much junk in the river that the river could c- catch fire so the, the the government through regulation could be much more vigilant in protecting against uh, some of them of course this is not a protection against uh, for, for example uh, earthquake well earthquake the protection must come through the the kind of construction that we built. you know if the uh, clearly protection against uh, systemic risk will cost it will cost something and that's why we don't have it you know maybe I can make also the point that the the private sector also suffer from the same biases No, for for example one recent episode has been that uh, you know with globalization in the last 34 years there was this view that uh, you did not have much inventory. You did not need. If you were a, were a company and an enterprise, you did not need to to keep much inventory because uh, just in in time, a delivery would always be available because you know you could get it from many sources. And this uh, many enterprise. Reduced dramatically the amount of inventory that they would keep. Now, when the the pandemics and especially the war in the, in Ukraine came, then uh, then many enterprises were caught. With having very little inter- inventory now, you have all these problems that uh, company cannot produce. You know, Volkswagen cannot produce enough cars because there are some parts of the car which they need from China, and they have not been able to get it. And uh, you know, you cannot produce milk for children, and uh, and so so that uh, you know the the private sector is also not. Uh, not you know uh not prepare itself for it and they try to minimize the cost or also you know the the the, the cost of uh, how many people in enterprise hire probably they hire the minimum amount of of individual uh to reduce cost but if something happens they may need more individuals and uh, yeah, and they, you know i think in the book there is a comparison between Japan and the United States in the United States in Japan enterprises use some of their profits to keep more workers and not to fire them during an during a recession in the u.s the enterprise immediately fired the workers and this becomes a problem of the, of the workers and and to some extent a problem of the government so, so the way the society react, to risk versus uncertainty. Also, it also reflects the culture of society. But, but I I mean, mean,
0: at, at, at the end of the day, the government only has. Finite resources, right? So, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, well, how, would,
0: a- how would they know without, um, you know, any any probabilities or, you know, if, if the government can't say, well, an atomic disaster is, you know, has an X percent likelihood of occurring as opposed to an industrial disaster without knowing which is more likely, um, which is more likely to occur at what time and what severity. Um, how does the government allocate? Part of uh, finite resources, right? To say, well, we're going to allocate this many dollars to uh, mitigating the potential impact of atomic disasters, but industrial disasters are more likely or less likely, so we can, um, you know, attribute this many more dollars to industrial disasters. Like, how how would a government with finite resources prioritize um, between all these different disasters and pandemics and all of that?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, you know, uh, on, uh, on this to some extent, you know, but again, we have to go back to the philosophy of, uh, of economic philosophy. You know, uh, 50 years ago, a, a very famous economist, Milton Friedman, I'm, I'm sure you are familiar with this work. You know, he wrote a famous essay in the, in New York, uh, uh, New York Times, New York Review of Books, in which he says that the only responsibility of managers of enterprise is the is the the rate of return to to shares. In other words, the the profits of those who own and own enterprise is the only responsibility they have. They don't have any other responsibility, and much of the recent. Uh, thinking of American enterprise has gone into this direction. You know, there was a, a famous uh, uh, manager of uh, American Electric, you know, that they used to fire the, the bottom 10% of, his, uh, of of stuff every year, you know. And this, again, we have made a choice between profits and other objectives, which is uh, a society which is more uh, more, uh, how do you say, uh, con- understanding, more, more compassionate, you know, and, and clearly there is a cost in that, you know, in the short run, there is a cost, you're right, you know, how the government can, can find the resources in the short run, if they use those resources to g- to get more protection, they are, they are damaging the short run, but they are protecting more the longer run. And that's the problem. I don't want to give the impression that these are simple choices, but I want also to stress that the choices that a society makes over whether equity is, is as important as efficiency, you know, in in the U.S with all the attention today is on efficiency. No, you want the enterprise to be as efficient as possible. To be as efficient as possible, they have to cut the inventory, they have to cut the, the working stuff and the, to, to ignore environmental consideration and so forth. So if you had other objectives, then we lose something in the short run, but maybe, Maybe Andy said, maybe, maybe one can challenge that maybe we we gain something over the longer run.
0: Okay, so the second character uh, category of uncertain events that you identify is titled Climate Change and Global Warming, and includes a journey through several phases from early concerns about the environment to climate change to global warming. Um, so tell us a bit about this part of the book and what you think the government's role is in using fiscal policy tools to better prepare for climate or environment-related events.
1: Yeah, th- this is an interesting uh issue, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, uh, when I started writing the book, I did not know much about this uh, this issue, you know. I, I mean, uh, of course, I read the newspaper and I'm an economist, I knew something, but there was not an area in which I'd focused. you know. Well, but when I... I I wrote a book, I read, you know, I followed closely all the literature on uh, global warming, on climate change. And what that worries me is the fact that uh, at the current level of global warming, you know, we've increased the world temperature by about two degrees or so. And, uh, you know, at this level, we are already seeing a lot of problems. You know, if you listen to the news on Europe today, there there are areas in Italy where it has not rained now for months, and they are having problems. They are forbidding a, a beauty parlour to to wash the the head or the the hair of women who go there. You know, and so and we we know there are more and more major storms. You know. We, we know. So, and this has happened at the present level of global warming, but at the same time, we hear the news that all the measures that are taken are, are such that for the next, in the next three years, the, the global warming will keep increasing, but will not increase over a certain level. So this means that for the next 20, 30 years or whatever, the ocean will keep getting warmer and warmer. The North Pole will get, get warmer and will lose the ice. And and losing the ice will absorb more heat. And uh, and the, the permafrost will melt and will begin to uh, uh, put more, uh, more gas in the air. And so so as I, I say, you know, if somebody, I put an analogy in the book, which is probably very appropriate, if somebody who does not know how to swim and is drowning at 100 feet of water and you pull him to 20 feet, he still drowns, you know. And at, with the present mo, uh, uh, objectives of reducing, reduce, reducing the increase, not reducing the amount. In the air, the amount in the air will still be there; it will still keep growing, but will uh, reduce the increase in the air. Well, this is for me is a certain uh, uh, road to disaster. know, I don't see how this can we can be happy with this. You know, so we have to be much more efficient, one much more effective. You know, I I mention in the book at the close of the book I I cite an Italian poem which which was written at the time when progress was uh, was considered very very good thing around 1850 1860 you know progress was the new thing you know progress would solve all the problem of people and if if the world is as the poem says if the world is still has slaves and as tears is because progress has not done its work yet you know well now we have more and more doubt about progress you look at the disaster with plastics you know Plastic, when plastic came, was a great invention, you know. For me, I don't know how I could live without plastic now, you know, everything you buy comes into plastic and you throw away. But the trouble with that, we have not done a good job on dealing with this. When, when we throw away, we never think what happened to that plastic that has been thrown away. Much of it, and some in rivers, in the ocean, ends up in the stomach, of uh, dolphins and uh, whales and so forth. And uh, and this is, you know, this again is a disaster that is happening. So the, the bottom line that we have to, to do much, much greater job. Look what is happening now. We are all excited. That's we should be about the fact that the price of gasoline has gone up, you know, because of the war in Ukraine and so forth. But at the same time, it's immediately making us forget about the fact that we have two problems. You know, one would be nice to keep the price of gasoline down, but at the same time, we have global warming that is there and getting worse and will be getting worse, especially if we allow people to keep consuming gasoline the same way they have done in the past. So the bottom line is there are choices that we have to make. And unfortunately, choices always involved that you choose one thing and you lose another thing. You know, if I have uh, two tickets, want to go to the opera one night or go to to see a football game and I use one ticket, I lose the other one. So there's always always a cost in, in choosing one thing over another, even when you choose the one which you like better. No, but there's a cost. And that's really the bottom line, the point that is stressed in the book, you know, that... Uh, that we if we really are serious about global warming and uh, and again i might be totally wrong though, that's where the uncertainty comes in maybe the world will will change again. By the way, global warming, uh, climate change has happened in the past several times, not the first time that it that happens, but in the past was due to to major volcanic uh, explosions, and, and things like this. It never happened because we were using too much, uh, putting too much uh, 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 gas in the, in the air. No so he, he said but i could be wrong you know and that's where the uncertainty uh, comes in you know for for risk you have a much better reference point you know you have studied the larger population you know what has happened to those population for for uncertainty you have much much weaker reference point and we could be wrong i could be wrong i don't want i don't want to be too, to claim that uh, what I write in the book will certainly happen, I hope it doesn't happen. In fact, because uh, you know, have grandchildren, have children, uh, and and so forth. But uh, but the the bottom bottom uh, point is that you know it is a serious risk, and it's a risk that uh, we should at least pay more more attention than we have. We cannot okay. simply. Pay attention one moment, and forget it the next moment when they know the problem comes. You know?
0: Yeah. Um, so a lot of uh, more free market oriented, you know, Milton Friedman-esque Um, Individuals would argue that humans are great at adapting and innovating, but terrible at preventing. So rather than have the government do things like a carbon tax, we should have a market free enough from intervention and red tape where the next generation of innovators can experiment um, with geoengineering, seawalls, et cetera, in which we can effectively adapt as a species and overcome the impacts of climate change, which we excel at rather than trying to prevent it, which is something we are less adept at and not as likely to get right. So do you think there is any merit to the idea of allowing the free market not only to attempt to prevent climate-related disasters, but also to innovate um, our way out of its impacts as opposed to using government intervention?
1: Yeah, that definitely. I, there is. Uh, I, uh, but uh, I would, uh, you know, you have to make a distinction here that, uh, you know, that the free market will do much of the job but on its own without some uh, guidelines from the government. So uh, will not do it. No, because the free market is made of the thousands and thousands of operators, each operator has an advantage over the others, if the others are are doing the job, but he or she is not doing the job. So we are in this, this, in this competitive World and the competitive world. That's why the, you need the government. You don't. You don't want too much government. I've always been against uh, uh, Russian or or central planning. Uh, uh, co- uh, conclusions, you know, I'm against that. I believe it. in the allocative role of the market, that the government can never do a better job than the market in allocating resources. But the government must set guidelines, you know, if uh, if uh, to do a good job, to do a job, an enterprise need to throw it, all its garbage in the river and pollute the river, well, that's something that you cannot allow the free market to do it, you know. That's where the, the limit the free market comes you know and uh, it's a a question of uh, how to deal with externality unfortunately in today's world we are full of externality. whatever we do produces some externality and uh, and there are some which may be so minor that you can ignore it there's some but uh, others you know you cannot assume that all externalities are like this you know sooner or later they begin to have an impact and then then you realize that the market by itself, on its own, will not do it.
0: Well, um, those are all the questions I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Dr. Tanzi. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Well, a pleasure. And thank you for inviting me.
0: Perfect. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Economics Review. And as always, we'll be back soon with the latest.